0: Okay, I want to just say a prayer and then we're going to invite up our special guest, John Davidson. So let me go ahead and uh, open a prayer. Uh, we we want to pray for Brian and uh, Clunder and Jessica Shores. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you and we thank you for this evening and we do pray for these dear ones in our congregation who are so sick. Uh, Brian, Lord, I thank you that I got a good report that he's doing well today. And we pray that you would stop that bleed in his brain, and Lord, that you would uh, strengthen up his body, give him good rest, and we pray, Lord, for him to be able to recover quickly. And so, Lord, we ask for your healing hand upon Brian, and also for Jessica Shores. Dear God, we ask that you would uh, heal her as well. Lord, uh, the fear was that this uh, port would close up like the other two, and Uh, Lord, we pray against any infection or sepsis in her blood. We pray, dear God, for your mercy upon her and that uh, the doctors would be able to figure out another way to either open up that port or give her one more. But Lord, please show her your mercy. And uh, we we thank you so much for your goodness, God, to us. So we ask for your healing hand upon these who are sick in our congregation. And so now, Lord, we ask that you bless the, the time in your word and the study Encourage our hearts, and Lord, we just are so thankful for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, and so we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to invite up John Davidson from Chosen People Ministries. Uh, John and Tiffany attend here regularly on Sundays, except for this season, because you're you're preaching at all sorts of churches, and, and so we appreciate you making the time to be here tonight. And uh, I'll let you get started and share a little bit about your background.
1: Good evening, everyone. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Uh, So glad to be here tonight. Uh, My wife and I have been coming here since uh, August. And uh, just a great, great community. Uh, when we came here, I think the first time we came, we just really felt at home. So it's such an honor and a privilege to be able to stand up before you tonight and give a word, uh, give, give a message from God's word. My wife and I were missionaries to Jewish people, and uh, we served in Jerusalem for three years, and now we serve in LA. And just to give you some perspective, um, there are 600,000 Jews in Jerusalem. There's 600,000 Jews in L.A. So uh, plenty of ministry to do uh, and lots of opportunity. Uh, Our mission organization called Chosen People Ministries, we have about um, 10 to 15 missionaries in Jerusalem, but only two in L.A. So there's a huge need for us to be there. Um, So when you think of missions like I have for so long, you think overseas, but missions is right when you step outside your front door. Uh, there's always somebody in front of you that needs to hear the gospel. Amen. If you brought your Bibles with you, can you please turn with me to Matthew chapter 17? I think it will be on the screen. So, what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to give you a message um, from a Jewish perspective about the Feast of Israel. Some, uh, this is kind of a way that we like to share the gospel with Jewish people. And it, I'm going to be sharing stuff that's familiar with you, to you, that you've grown up with as, as you've experienced church life and reading your Bible, but I'm going to give a Jewish perspective of it, probably things you haven't heard before. All right, so not too many people know this, but uh, Jewish people actually believe in two Messiahs, and they're given particular names. One is called Messiah, Son of Joseph. And the other one's called Messiah, son of David. Now, what they mean by that is that Messiah, son of Joseph, is going to represent Joseph's life in in the book of Genesis. He was rejected by his brothers. He was thrown in prison. And toward the end of his life, he was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh. Does that ring a bell to you guys? Then there's going to be another Messiah who comes at a later time who's called Messiah, son of David, where he's going to represent David's life. He's going to be crowned as king. He's going to establish his throne in Jerusalem and where he's going to rule and reign, not just temporarily like David did, but forever. And I hope that rings a bell too. So the Jewish people, while they thought it was two people, where they got it wrong was it's one person in two different time periods. So this was the mystery that was revealed to us later in Jesus Christ. This is good background because the Feast of Israel, while there's seven of them, there's four in the spring and three in the fall. Now, we're just going to go through the spring feasts. I've tried doing all the feasts in one night, and people walk out kind of stunned because it's so much information. So we'll just work on four tonight. Um, But what I want to say is that the spring feasts represent Messiah, son of Joseph, the suffering Messiah, as Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Then the last three feasts, the fall feasts, have to do with the reigning Messiah. So we'll talk about the suffering Messiah tonight. Um, But just, uh, I think, a good introduction to this is in Matthew 17, because I want to show you something very important that every Christian must understand, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all Scripture. So in Matthew 17, it says, on your screen, we'll just read the first five verses. This has to do with the transfiguration of Jesus. Just before... He offered Himself on the cross. He wanted to do something very significant with His disciples, that He told His disciples that they couldn't share until after He was raised from the dead. And what He does here is He's given them a glimpse of the Messiah, Son of David, when Jesus comes back in His glory. And it says, After six days, Jesus took with Him Peter, James, and John, the inner three, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them, and His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, very Jewish. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents or tabernacles or a sukkah in Hebrew, very Jewish as well. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Last verse. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice in the cloud said, now, I think that what the Lord is about to say here is the most important part of this whole passage, and I'm going to show you why in just a second here. This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now, on the surface, what the voice is saying is that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, and that you, we don't need to look any further that he fulfills all things. But if you're a Jewish and you heard that voice as Peter, James and John, Elijah and Moses were and Jesus, it's much deeper than that. So let me just give you a little bit of background. So in synagogue, which is run very similar to how churches run, they have they sing hymns, they have a time of prayer, and then they give a, a, a rabbi gives a message. Now, in this message, the thing that they do differently than what we do in church, which I think we should adopt, uh, is something where they preach the whole counsel of God. Now, what I mean by this is that if you wanted to say that your passage is in the whole counsel or in all Scripture speaks to that one thing, you have to pull that one concept from the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. Now, let me back up a little bit. The Jewish people's Bible is our Old Testament. The only difference is... Now, the words are exactly the same. The only difference is is the ordering. We have five sections. The Pentateuch, historical, uh, historical writings, wisdom literature, major and minor prophets. The Jewish people have three sections. The Torah, the writings, and the prophets. Now, if you wanted to say that this one concept... All scripture speaks to that one thing. You would have to pull that same concept from those three sections. This is my beloved son. Comes from Psalm 2. Where it says, I will tell a degree, you are my son, today I have begotten you. With whom I'm well pleased comes from Isaiah 42. Where it says, my son in whom, are my servant, my, in whom my soul delights or is well pleased with. And lastly, listen to him. Only three words in English, but only two in Greek and Hebrew, comes from Deuteronomy 18. Where Moses says, There is a prophet who will rise among your brothers, and sometime later, when he comes, listen to him. Deuteronomy 18 is from the Torah. Psalm 2 is from the writings. And Isaiah 42 is from the prophets. You can etch this in stone. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all scripture and everything points to him. Amen? Amen. All right, so I think that's a good background for the Feast of Israel, and this is why. All these seven feasts of Israel point to Jesus Christ. He came just at the right time, offered himself on on the cross at just the right moment in fulfillment of these feasts. So we'll start with the first one, but just to give a slight introduction of them, We can turn to the next passage in Leviticus 23. I think it will be on your screen. In Leviticus 23, all seven feasts are outlined here. I'm just going to read the first couple verses to show you uh, the significance of them. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts, key word, of the Lord, that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts, another key word, my. So two important words here, appointed feasts and my. Appointed feasts is the Hebrew word moedim, and it's a very important word in Hebrew. It shows up very early on in the Bible. Now, whenever a word shows up early in the Bible, it's usually a word that we must pay attention to. So it shows up in Genesis 1. It's the word for seasons in in Genesis. Now, if you think about seasons, what they are, there are fixed uh, seasons on a calendar. They happen at the same time, and it's been going that way uh, ever since the beginning of creation. God actually promised after Noah's flood that seasons would never cease. So that's good background information because why would God use the same word, used for seasons, but here in Leviticus 23, referring to the feast? And my reasoning for that is because these are God's appointed times. God has a fixed calendar, prophetic calendar, in which Jesus fulfills all things. And that's the Feast of Israel. And notice in the last line it says, these are my feasts because he's the one who fulfills them. Passover is first on the list. Can you think of what Jesus did to fulfill Passover? Well, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but he it says in um, 1 Corinthians, I believe, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, let me give you a little bit of background of Passover and why it's significant. It's in the book of Exodus. As you know, the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for 40 years or 400 years under the Egyptians. And then there were 10 um, plagues that hit the Egyptians. And the last one being kind of a crescendo leading to the most important one, which is the slaying of the firstborn. Now, God gives very specific commands in order, in order to be protected by the angel of destruction. And what he said was you have to take a hyssop branch and dip it into the blood of the spotless and blameless lamb and paint it over your doorpost and over your lintel, which is the bar that goes over your door. And if you have the blood then the angel of destruction passes over your house, and that's where we get the name Passover. Now, here's something significant about that, is that what's so interesting about it is even though God gives great detail about Passover, there's something that he leaves out. He doesn't say who you need to be in that house. He doesn't say if you're an Israelite, take the blood. He doesn't say if you're an Egyptian. He doesn't mention what sins you've committed in your past. What matters is, is that you have the blood of the spotless and blameless lamb. Now, is that good news, brothers and sisters? I hope so. It's good news for me. Um, in 2005, I woke up in an abandoned house, and it was just the right time of the morning that you could see the sun rays peek through the blinds. And I remembered walking underneath those sun rays, um, and I felt the warmth of the sun. And it reminded me when I was a child, even though I had a troubled childhood, the thing that brought me joy was feeling, feeling the heat of, of the sun. And so I let out a gasp of air, and I said I was going to try to get clean one last time. I was an intravenous drug user. So I stepped out, stepped out of that house, nev- never to return again. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, I walked down the street, and I asked somebody for 50 cents, and the first person I asked gave it to me. It was the best 50 cents ever spent in my life. I immediately put it in a payphone and I called somebody for help. Uh, The person I called didn't know I was at the time, so we had to meet at a mutual place. I said, I'm calling you for help, and he said, if I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to take you somewhere for your drug addiction problem. So I consented. But he didn't know where I was at the time, so we had to meet at a mutual place. And even though this happened almost 18 years to the day, April 1st will be 18 years, I remember that day as if it were yesterday. It was a beautiful day in Southern California. Crystal blue sky, birds are chirping, flowers are blooming, grass is green, but it was all like black and white to me. Because I was dying inside. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't have the hope that we say that we have when we believe in the Lord. I was bankrupt in every way, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. I burned my bridges so much with my family that I called my mother a few days prior and asked her for a blanket and she said sorry and she hung up the phone. My car was impounded. My bank accounts closed. My credit cards went to collections. I was evicted from my apartment. Somebody robbed me just prior to my eviction, and stole everything I owned, including my bed sheets and silverware. So what I was wearing when I was walking down the street was what I owned. I was a very sick person. I weighed about 110 pounds. I refuse to tell you how much I weigh today, but there's definitely a difference. And walking down that street, I remember for the first time in my life, I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you're real, please help me. And He answered that prayer uh, because I'm standing before you today. And it's clearly because of the grace of God. It doesn't matter who you are in the house, it doesn't matter what sins you've committed in your past. What matters is, is you have the blood of the spotless and blameless lamb. It says in the Gospel of John that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said, in order to fulfill all things, I thirst. And somebody standing by heard what he said, went and grabbed a hyssop branch, dipped it in gall, which is sour wine, it's a representation of blood, and touched it to his lips. And he said, it is finished. And he gave up his last breath. The very last thing that Jesus did, his last words, his last breath, was to fulfill Passover. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Amen? Three days later is another Jewish holiday. Can you think of something that Jesus did three days after he offered himself on the cross? Rose from the dead, right? Do you think it's a coincidence and it fell on another Jewish holiday? I seem to think not. This holiday is called the Feast of Firstfruits. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the firstfruits from the dead. He rose from the grave. Now, I was in the Midwest not too long ago, and I was staying at a farmer's house. And he said, you know what it means when you see the first fruit of your crop? It means that the harvest has come. Because Jesus rose from the dead, it's not a distant reality. He brought the kingdom, He conquered death, and He set us free. It's available to us tonight. And this is the gospel message. In conjunction with Passover, is Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, I know most of us have probably taken communion before. We eat a little wafer. What is that? We drink a little grape juice. What is that significant for? Well, it all points to Passover. That's where it was began. And by the way, Passover is the longest holiday holiday ever celebrated in world history. 3,500 years, every year, rain or shine. And what they do at Passover is drink the cup of wine which Jesus took with his disciples, and they broke bread, which Jesus did, saying, this is my body. Now what's significant about the bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and how it points to Jesus, is that leaven represents sin, and yet Jesus was completely without sin. To reiterate it even, or just explain it in a different way, it says in the Gospel of Luke, I think it's in that Gospel, where it says, in preparation for Passover, Jesus is going to show here how he fulfills the on leaven Bread as well. Um, what people do, or what Jewish people do in preparation for Passover, is they go into their house and they rid their house of leaven because God commanded them to do that in the Torah. Now the point is is to get sin out of your house. And honestly, no one can truly do that. And so Jewish people go around with a magnifying glass today looking for every crumb they could find in their house. Uh, But they wouldn't be able to find everything. But Jesus could. Jesus, at that time of preparation for Passover, he walked into his house. He walked into the temple, and he overturned the money changers' tables. And he says, My house shall not be a den of robbers. He was ridding his house of leaven. Now, the Jewish people standing around, even if maybe they didn't understand at the time what he was doing, when they look at their Jewish roots and they recognize what they were supposed to do at that time, they would understand fully what Jesus was doing. He was the one who was truly ridding his house of leaven. And by the way, uh, the Jewish people give this a nickname, uh, the uh, the, bread of, the unleavened bread because it really represents the suffering that they face when they're in bondage in Egypt. Now, it's called the bread of affliction. So there's things with on the bread if you've ever been to a Messianic. Have any of you guys been to a Messianic Passover? I hope so. If you haven't, you should go. Trust me, you should go. Uh, the way matzah is, this unleavened bread, is it's represented in a certain way uh, that shows its affliction. It's pierced, and it has stripes. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Okay, it says in Isaiah 53. And then it says another place, by his stripes, literally stripes, you have been healed. So he took that suffering upon himself. And that bread of affliction, Jesus broke in front of his disciples and said, This is my body, broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Now, the last of the spring holidays, I hope you, I'm trying to say this slow so you guys can receive it well. Are you guys on the same page with me? Okay. So the last holiday is called um, Shavuot in Hebrew. It's uh, the equivalent of a Greek word that means 50. Can anyone think of that, what that word might be? We all know this word. Pentecost. That's right. Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. And uh, the reason why it's called 50, some people think, oh, why is it called 50? Why is it called 50? Because if you count from the Feast of Firstfruits to this holiday, Shavuot, or Pentecost, it's 50 days. So here's the interesting thing. What Jesus did on the Feast of first fruits was he rose from the dead. Now, 50 days later, he says, not too long from now, I will send you my Holy Spirit, who will be in you and be with you forever. And it was exactly 50 days after he rose from the dead that he sent his Holy Spirit. So what is even more significant, I think, about this holiday is the Jewish background of it. Jewish people commemorate this holiday, because they've been celebrating it for quite some time, um, to commemorate when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. So what's the relationship between Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, and Mount Sinai, well, God comes down in a very powerful way that he hasn't done in the past. Okay, in Mount Sinai, there was thunder, there was lightning, very powerful. And then in Acts chapter 2, God comes down in a very powerful way in tongues of fire. And people were speaking in other languages. So the very, uh, there's a uh, um, very uh, strong similarity there. But then there's also a contrast because it's two different time periods. One is under the covenant of the law, and the other one is under the covenant of the mercy of Jesus Christ, the new covenant that we have in Jesus' blood. So we all know the story, but Moses was on Mount Sinai. He received the tablets of stone. He was up there for a long time. And so the Israelites decided that they were going to build a golden calf, an image, to represent God and worship it. So Moses came down off the mountain, his face turned red, he threw the tablets of stone on the ground, he ran down the mountain and beat the, the idol into dust and made people drink it, and I don't know why he did that, but he did do that. And then what follows that is something very interesting that contrasts Acts chapter 2. Uh, the Levites rise up, and then they slay 3,000 men in a result of their sin. Now fast forward to Acts chapter 2, how many men were saved? 3,000. 3, Same day, different year, one purpose under the law, the other purpose under the grace of Jesus Christ. This is the mercy that we have available to us. It says in Ephesians chapter 1, it might come up here on your screen, about, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Oh, there Listen to this, friends. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our redemption. There is a coming judgment that every single person from every different culture, from every different tongue, from every different time period, is going to stand before the throne of God. If you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, He is the guarantee that you will be redeemed on that day. And that's it. That's all you need. Believe in the gospel, be sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you'll be set free for eternity. What a grace we have as Christians. What a message we have to share with the world. There are other feasts, and I always feel tempted to share more about the fall feast, but I'll just give you a little teaser. I'm going to share this really quick about the return of Messiah. There's a feast that doesn't show up on this list in Leviticus 23, but is significant because every Jewish holiday, every scripture is fulfilled in Messiah Jubilee. You might have heard that word tossed around a little bit. Uh, it means blowing the shofar, sounding the trumpet. uh, But it only happens every 50 years. So what would this have to do with Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's significant. I think it has this prophetic fulfillment. But this is just my own kind of thinking here, uh, and as well as some other people's as well. Um, But it has to do with uh, liberation of God's people and restoration of the land. So just bear with me here a second. 1917, we're going to go back in history here, was something called the British Mandate. And it allowed freedom of Jewish people in their homeland before it became a state in 1948. Restoration of the land. Now if you add exactly 50 years from 1917, you get 1967. Does anyone know what happened in 1967, You history buffs? That's right. It was a six-day war. And the Jewish people recaptured Jerusalem and made it their capital for the first time in 2,000 years. Now, if you add, this is the interesting part, because this is the era that we all live in. If you add 50 years from 1967, you get 2017. So what can be significant about that year having to do with Israel? My wife and I were living in Jerusalem at the time. And there was a helicopter that flew in with many other helicopters. And they uh, landed in our grocery store parking lot. And President Trump came off that helicopter. And he came for one purpose. To recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. For the first time in history that a modern country that was not Israel publicly recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish people. I say again. Is it coincidence that it happened exactly on that year? Well, my thought is no. God is sovereign over biblical times. He's sovereign over history. He'll be sovereign in your life. You can believe that. And he will come through the clouds one day. And what a day that will be at just the right time, just as he offered himself on the cross at the right time. But there's another part of Jubilee that I didn't share yet. One has to do with restoration of the land. The second has to do with the liberation of his people. So my wife and I um, and other missionaries in Israel were excited that a day would come where Jewish people would be liberated. Now what I think that means is a spiritual liberation. And that's what we look forward to ultimately. Jewish people are probably the hardest people to reach in the world. Because they're the only people, the scripture says that there is a God-given hardening on their hearts. There's a veil over their eyes so that they can't see. But it says in Romans 11 that there will be a day that comes. Um, it says, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel will be saved. So n- never mind what all Israel will be saved because people are all over the place and what that means. But the point is, is that there will come a time, because it uses the word until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, all Israel will be saved. So in the last of last days, Jewish people, by the Spirit of God, will cry out to Jesus Christ and say, Baruch HaBab and i which translates, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I didn't intend to share this, but while we're living in Israel, because it says in Matthew chapter 23, I'm kind of getting off track here, sorry about that, um, <laughs> As it says in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus says, I tell you, I'm not going to come again until you say, Baruch HaBab, Shem Anani. And since we lived in Israel, I just kept hearing that said more and more frequently until the time that we left. Now back to Jubilee, uh, 2017, liberation of God's people. My wife and I were working for an online ministry where we reached Jewish people in Israel who were afraid to encounter a Christian missionary in person. So they would request material or want to hear the gospel over the phone or in writing. So we would participate in that, and we would send them material. We'd get about three to five requests a week. Then when the shofar was blown, and by the way, I didn't share this with you, the Jewish people, when the temple's destroyed and all the records destroyed with it, um, they lost track of when Jubilee year occurs, because it says in the Torah that you're supposed to blow the shofar, the ram's horn, on a particular day on the 50th year. So they don't know what year it happens on, so they blow the shofar every year just so that they don't miss it. Um, But what's interesting is, okay, so I was talking about liberation of people. We work for an online ministry, three to five requests uh, a week. Sorry, I get off track a little bit. Um, But when the shofar was blown uh, in 2017, on a jubilee year, I think, then we got 300 requests that week. And then the week after that, 300 requests. And it continued on, as far as I know, until we left Israel. Yeah, praise the Lord, right? Because it says in Scripture, nobody can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. So God sent His Spirit from His throne to reach the hearts of Jewish people. The veil's being lifted. Their hearts being softened, as it says in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37 dry bones becoming flesh. By the way, uh, the word for Independence Day in Hebrew is uh, yom HaAtzmaut. Uh, getting off track here again, but, uh, which means bones. That's what the word comes from, is bones. Because in Ezekiel 37, it says in the last days, the dry bones will become flesh. My friends, we live in the last of last days. Are you recognizing that? Can I get an amen? Amen. Even though that we see darkness around us, even though things become worse and worse, the hope that we have becomes brighter and brighter. That day is drawing near. Now, I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But in the very next verse, Paul says, but you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. We know the scriptures. We have the prophecies available to us right in front of you. We know the day that he'll come. Maybe not the particular day, but we'll be ready for it. And that's the point. So let me just close with this. There was a rabbi who is a contemporary of Jesus. He lived in the first century. Very significant rabbi in Judaism. His name is Rabbi Shammai. And he was asked by one of his disciples a very interesting question. If you could boil down everything in Scripture, now keep in mind, the only Scripture they had available to them was the Old Testament at the time. If you could boil down everything in Scripture into one thing, what would that one thing be? That's a pretty interesting question. Have you ever thought about that? Well, this is how he answered it. He said, well, there's 613 laws in the Torah. And then in in Psalm 15, there's 11. And then in Isaiah 33, there's 6. And then in Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with their God. How many is that? that Three. And then lastly everything boils down into one thing. Habakkuk 2.4. The righteous shall live by faith. This was a man who didn't have the New Testament, and yet he recognized what undergirds all of Scripture is one word, faith. Faith that we believe that Jesus Christ came as the Passover lamb he was raised three days later on the Feast of First fruits. He sent his Holy Spirit just as he promised 50 days later, and he sealed us. He marked us who is the guarantee of our redemption until we acquire possession of it. My friends, if you believe in that message, you can be sure that you are sealed for that day. And if you knew that he came to fulfill the spring feast, you know For sure, my dear friends, that he'll come back to fill the rest of the story. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jason. Lord, I just thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. The gospel message is so simple relationship with you. Lord, even though, just as you say in First Peter, we cannot see you, we love you. And even though we can't see you right now, we believe in you, and we rejoice in the fact that you will come again and that we will see you face to face. And in Lord, until then, keep us, keep us growing in your word, and help us to be a mouthpiece, a light in this dark world. We pray this in your precious name. Amen.
0: So, John, we, uh, uh, John, we really appreciate you coming. I think we're going to have to have you come out for the fall feast because uh, uh, I'm trying to figure out the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets because I'm pretty sure a trumpet's gonna blow, <laughs> and uh, something's gonna pretty awesome is gonna happen. So we gotta have you come to the fall piece. <laughs>
1: It'd be my pleasure. And, uh,
0: but we really appreciate you. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, this is John. His wife Tiffany is right there. Uh, they got their their wealth of information. Feel free to ask them, and I'll let you bless the people.
1: Yeah. It's an honor to bless you guys tonight. I hope uh, you received something in the message and something touched your heart. This is age-old tradition coming from the book of Numbers, and I want to bless you, so bow your heads. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be merciful to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you shalom. Amen.